You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, if you want a title, uh, the title this morning is Don't Ask for Just a Few. And I'm not going to explain that any further right now, but that will become clear in a moment. Don't ask for just a few. So in a moment, we're going to turn uh, to a particular text that I believe God wants to speak to us through this morning. You know, I've begun to prepare a word this week. It's been a busy week, I'm sure. Any, anyone else had a busy week? In fact, if you've had a busy week, say yes. yes. Okay, that's everybody. We've all had a busy week this week. I'd begun to prepare a, a word. I was gathering... Uh, notes, I've been reading, reflecting around a subject, but then I came to pray on Friday evening and I sensed something different rising from the heart of God. And that's what I want to bring us to this morning. So in a moment, we're going to come to a particular text in Two Kings. But before then, I just want to give us a bit of a backdrop that will create, if you like, the landscape to put this text into. You see, in my devotions in the last week, I've been in the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that was written to some of the early churches. And as I've read through the book of Ephesians, I keep coming across a particular theme, and that's a theme of fullness and filling. You see, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 23, Paul talks about the church. I think it's going to come up on the screen. He says, the church which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, this is, this is a measure of fullness I've not come across before. You know, Nando's will give you a refillable drink. That's one level of fullness. This is something on a different scale. I'm not sure I fully understand this measure of fullness that's being talked about. Paul goes on and in chapter 319, he prays for the believers. He said that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow. Is there anyone wants to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? I know I do. He goes on and he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine exceedingly abundantly more. As I've been reading Ephesians, I keep coming across this God of abundance and of fullness, a God of immeasurably more, a God who fills to a measure that is actually beyond my understanding of what fullness and filling can be. And as we came to pray on Friday evening, there was some life in the prayer time around God coming and filling filling us, filling the church, filling every meeting, every gathering, every life group. I hope you've made it to your life group this week. If you're not in one yet, get in a life group. It's a place where you'll meet with God and connect with others. We're praying for every ministry that God would fill. Saying, Lord, as we build church, as we make room, we're asking you to fill with your abundance. We're coming to the one who fills everything in every way. And you know, even though I don't fully understand the measure of the fullness of God, I'm still going to pray for it. We don't have to understand everything in scripture before we begin to pray for it. As I've been thinking and praying about this God, about this fullness, I was also reminded that back in Genesis, when we first read of the creation of the earth, it tells us this, that when God created, before he did so, the earth was formless and 
empty or void. It was empty. You see, God as creator, he makes and shapes into the formless, but he fills what is empty. That's part of how he works. It's how he creates. And if you read further into Genesis, Genesis 1:27, where man is created, we're told man is created in God's image. In fact, it says male and female, he created them. And just let me take a moment to bring an aside here, that if you're not sure what to make of the current dialogue in society that's rapidly changing around sexuality and gender, can I send you to this verse to start your thinking, to the unchangeable truths of God's word? Genesis 1.27, he made us in his image, male and female, he created them. Yes, we live in a broken world. Not everything is as it should be, and we need to look with grace. But male and female, he created them. We find God making man in his image, blessing him, telling him to be fruitful, but then he tells him to do what? To fill the earth. To fill the earth and subdue it. You see, the God we come to is a God who fills. It's what he's been doing since the creation of the earth. And as we come to the Bible this morning, I want us to come with this backdrop that we serve a God who fills. He filled the earth in creation. He made man to bear his image and fill the earth. And in the New Testament, we find an unchanging God who's still in the business of filling. And with that in mind, Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. And we're going to read this story. It's titled in my NIV Bible, The Widow's Oil. And this is why we have a title this morning, Don't Ask for Just a Few. So we're going to read from verse 1. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and she told the man of God and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. It's a short passage. There's not loads of detail. We don't get loads of description here, but it's an amazing account of God's provision through the man of God. The man of God is to the widow what God is to us, the one who brings the provision of God. He comes and saves and rescues by filling, literally pouring out his provision. And for you and for me, as we seek to draw from God's resource As we call him to fill our lives, to come and fill our situations, the ministries that we're on with, there's some simple encouragements for us here in these words this morning. So I'm going to bring three simple observations of what and how God fills. So first up, he fills where there is desperation. 
The God who fills, fills where there is desperation. If we think for a moment, the subject of the story that we find here is a poor, destitute widow. She's lost her husband. He was a godly man, one of God's prophets. In an era where to be a true prophet of God meant that you were in for persecution. He was a good man. Her source of provision was gone. Now her only hope for her was her sons. She was dependent on her sons and they themselves were about to be taken into slavery in the payment of a debt. This is a desperate woman. We might say, but how, how had they come to here? These were faithful people. This was a godly man and his family. And you know, we're reminded as we come to this that God's faithful people are not immune to tragedy. This man had revered God. He'd served God. And yet he died and his family were here in the toughest season in a desperate place. And it occurs to me, maybe you find yourself in a desperate place here this morning. Maybe things have not turned out how you had hoped or thought that they would. You think that you served God faithfully and it doesn't quite make sense. So can I encourage you, don't interpret the difficulty in your circumstances as a judgment from God. It doesn't mean you went wrong. It doesn't mean you're not where you thought you were. It's just God doesn't give us immunity from the difficulties of life. Sometimes he allows us as his faithful people to find ourselves in desperate circumstances like the widow and the sons that we read of today who we find crying out to God, to the man of God in her desperation. I wonder sometimes if God allows us to hit some desperate times because... He wants to teach us to cry out to him. You know, in our comfort, when everything's going okay, most of us get a bit apathetic. Most of us get a little bit dull towards God. It's true in my own life, there's nothing like a crisis to get me on my knees. I'm not a prayerless person the rest of the time, but there's nothing like difficulty to really turn the heat up on my prayer life. The communication between me and God hots up in those seasons. Is this the same with you? I think he allows us sometimes to have situations where we feel desperate so we learn dependency on him, to realize our need, to learn to bring our emptiness to him for him to fill. When I was a young woman, a final year student, there were some situations around my life and some things came crashing down and my life was a bit of a mess in that season. And I found myself in a hurt and a very desperate place. I didn't have in myself what the situation needed of me. And in that season, I began to cry out to God. I regularly would find myself saying, God, help me now. I need more grace now. This hurts and I just need something from you to help me. Give me what I need on the inside just to get through this moment. And sometimes many times a day, I would cry out a prayer like that in the midst of study, in the midst of placements, in the midst of conversations and other things. In essence, I was saying, God, come and fill my emptiness with your provision of grace. And you know, over a period of months, he did just that. He came and filled me with grace. And as I look back, I wouldn't be without that season of desperation. I wouldn't want to write it out of the script because it taught me to cry out to him and to ask him to fill me. 
It helped me find a place of drawing something from him, finding something precious of God's provision that I would never have asked for. I'd never have sought out if life had been comfortable and everything had been okay. We have to learn to cry out to God in our desperation. That's where he comes and he fills and he meets us. Maybe you have a situation around your life and you're desperate. Have you cried out to God yet? Have you learned to bring it to him? Have you learned in those moments as you go through the day when it hits you or you feel raw to cry out to him? Say, God, I need you to fill me here and now and to keep bringing it and to keep crying out until he hears and he responds because, you know, he comes and he fills where we're desperate. Also, it strikes me the widow was not a person of importance. Sometimes we can think that for God to hear our cry, we need to be a particular kind of person or in a particular kind of place. But the widow was a very unimportant person. Elisha, the man of God, was to her what God is to us, and God made himself accessible to her in her desperation. The man of God was available. He was there to hear her cry and respond to her. We don't have to be anybody special to cry out to God and be heard by him. In Psalm 34, 15, it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Your answer may not have come the first time you cry out, but it has been heard. It has been heard because his, his ears are attentive to their cry. He's attentive not to the sorted, not to the comfortable, not to the wealthy, not to the powerful or the people in position, but to the righteous who cry out to him. And if you're here this morning and you're in Christ, well, in him you are the righteous. But have you cried out to him? Have you lifted up a cry for him to hear and to be attentive to from your place of desperation? Interestingly, in the previous chapter, in chapter three, three kings come to try to see Elisha, the king of Moab, the king of Israel, the king of Judah. These are the people you'd think the man of God said, right, well, if we can get these guys doing the will of God, they will really be onto it. We would have thought they would have uh, been a priority. Not so with Elisha. In fact, as you see it unfold, there's only one king that Elisha knows has any interest really in doing God's will. And so he says, well, because of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I'll see you. But he actually says to the king of Israel, what have me and you got to do with each other? He wasn't interested in speaking with those of power, listening to those of position. But when the widow in her desperation cries out, his ears are attentive and he's there. He's accessible. He's available to bring help to the cry of desperation. To us, to you, in your desperation, he will come to fill, but you must cry out to him. But you see, the God who fills, he comes to fill where there is desperation. He comes to those places. So we must learn to cry out. Secondly, the God who fills, fills what we prepare. The God who fills, fills what we prepare. You see, God doesn't just sort this all out. The man of God in the story, he doesn't just kind of click his fingers or arrange for something to be delivered. It's not sorted out independent of the woman. He involves her in the process. And she has to undertake some preparation before God fills. In fact, the man of God says to her, what have you got in your house? 
What have you got in your house? And she answers, sir, your servant has nothing at all except a little oil. She had so little oil, it was barely worth a mention. It was as good as worthless what she actually had in her house. But isn't it incredible that it's that thing that God chose to use? He didn't look for a wealthy sponsor. He didn't look somewhere else, but he looked to the very little that was there in the house and wanted to involve the woman in the miracle that would follow. And then the man of God sends her to prepare for what God is going to do. He tells her, he gives him some instructions. If we read the text there, he says, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door, pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Go to all your neighbors. Now, I just want you to imagine for a moment what this process cost this woman. I want you to think of what this would be like on your street, going to your neighbors to ask for empty jars when you've got a little bit of oil in your house. I don't know how the conversation would have gone. I don't know, like she steps onto the first doorstep, knock, knock. Hi, how are you doing? They would all have known each other. They would have known she was a widow. They would have known she was destitute. They would have known she had only a little oil. So how would the conversation have unfolded? Hi, have you got any spare jars? Jars? Yeah, we've got some spare jars. What on earth do you need jars for? What do you say in that moment? What would you say on your neighbor's doorstep? Well, a um, bit, bit of oil? Oh, where did you get that from? Actually, it's just for tea lights. Uh, actually, it's just an arrangement. It's like, well, you know, do you come up with something? We're just having a go at something. We're just seeing how many we can pile in a tower without them falling over. Um, it's like, it would have been awkward, embarrassing, uncomfortable. How do you position yourself there to go and get what you've been told to get without either looking stupid or, or feeling uncomfortable? It's, she just had to step out in trust and obedience, not be afraid both to make her need known to her neighbors and also an expectation that something was going to happen. Go and ask all your neighbors. On my street, there might be some I'd go to first, but I certainly wouldn't want to go to them all. Maybe that's the same on your street. Go to all your neighbors. Wouldn't it have been tempting for her just to go to the first one, the one she most trusted, and to ask for one jar? And to look at that jar and think about the amount of oil she had in her house and think, think that jar's going to do it. I think that's probably going to be big enough. And then run back home and give it a go. But the man of God has said, don't just ask for a few. Don't ask for just a few. Maybe that's the only reason. Maybe that those words were maybe the only thing that made her go to all the neighbors, all the houses, get every empty jar that she could. Don't ask for just a few. The man of God required of her to make preparation for him to fill. She had to be active. She had to go and do something. She had to step out in obedience and trust. You know, so often when the Lord is going to do something, he will require obedience and trust from us. That's part of the preparation, you know. Not just the external, but it's us coming in trust 
and obedience. And the widow did what she was asked for. She prepared something for God to fill and she didn't ask for just a few. And then it tells us in the text, she went into her home with her sons, they closed the door and they began to do what the man of God had told them to do. If you're here and you've got children, let's just take note for a moment as parents. Her sons were on board here in the process. She wasn't trying to deliver something for them. She went on a journey with them. They were part of the process. They knew the need and they were part of God's miracle. And I want to encourage you, if you've got children, there's some things in life we need to shield them from. But sometimes we need to help them be part of our asking God to help us as a family. Where there's an appropriate level of need, we can let them know that we're agreeing for. Let's bring them into that. Let's do the journey with them so that when we are stepping into what God asks of us, we do it with them and then they're with us in the answer and we grow their faith. They're there. They begin bringing the jars to her and she pours oil into the jars. God fills what she prepares. God fills what we prepare. It's part of how he works. But she had to go and do what he'd asked her to do. You know, some of us, we want the oil to start flowing before we've done anything. I know that's not just me. We want the oil to flow and then I'll respond. But it's not how God works. He says he comes and fills what we prepare. And sometimes he asks us to do something, to move, to be active, sometimes to speak. And then he comes and fills what we've prepared for him. There's some of you here in the room this morning, God's asked you to do something and you haven't done it yet. You've put it off because you haven't seen the oil flowing yet. There's a question for you this morning. Will you do what God's asked you to do? Because he wants you to make room for him. And when you prepare and when you make room, then he'll come and he'll fill it. Pastor Martin reminding us that this morning, it's 12 months since we went to double. You know, it seems ordinary now, doesn't it? We just do two services, it's what we do. But just over 12 months ago, we were sitting there thinking, will it work? Have we got the capacity? We're sitting there thinking, will this work with our children? How are we going to do this? All kinds of different logistical things we're trying to work through. Is this going to be too much for our teams? Will people come? Or will we just end up with two kind of half full services? Dr. John Andrews came in that run-up season and he preached about making room for more. And talked about the fact he believed that as we made room, God would fill because that's what God always does. And here we are this morning. A second service full. Yeah, he's the God who fills. If we'll just do what he tells us to do, if we'll just make the room, if we'll just trust and be obedient, guess what? The one who fills everything in every way comes and he fills. In one of our life groups at the moment, we're piloting what's called a rooted group. It's a simple discipleship process and I'm journeying with them at the moment. And a few weeks ago, we had what's labeled a prayer experience, a time we come together with been learning a little bit how to pray, how to ask God, how to yield in prayer and just be silent before him. And so then you come to a point where we try and all spend an hour with the Lord and then come back together and share how that's been. And these are all new Christians. Now, I don't know when the last time was that you spent an hour in prayer, but these guys, they've never spent an hour in prayer. Some of them hadn't even ever prayed out loud in a setting at this point. They're wary. 
They're like, oh my goodness, what is this going to be like? And there were a few little pointers, things to help them. But we all went away and spent our hour with the Lord and then came back together. And do you know what happens? People meet with God. They hear God. They connect with God. They bring things. Things are brought to mind that they haven't thought of before. Because you know what? When we make room, God fills. When we prepare a place, prepare a time, God fills. It's a principle within God. We have to prepare for him to fill. We have to do what he calls us to do in preparation. But the God who fills, fills what we prepare. Thirdly, the God who fills, fills to provide for need. He fills to provide for need. In the account that we read here, the woman went and told the man of God what had happened. What the power of God had done for her. That he'd come and he'd filled. And he says, go and sell the oil, pay your debts, and then you and your sons can live on what is left. Pay your debts, and then you can live on what's left. You know, when God fills, when he pulls out his spirit and his power, this isn't a game, it's not random, it's not a lottery, it's provision for debt. It's the meeting of need, your need, my need. You know, in Christ, God has filled our greatest need, the need for a savior. In Christ, God has filled our need for a redeemer who will pay our ransom and set us free. Free us from slavery, like the two sons in the story. The grace of God has been poured out to fill us. First to pay our debt, but then also to be enough to live on. He says, doesn't he, my grace is sufficient for you. Not sufficient just to pay your debt, but sufficient for you to live on. It has filled and will continue to fill your need. It occurs to me that sometimes we come to Christ and we trust that he's filled our need for salvation. We get that bit. We know he's paid the debt. We know that's what the cross was about. And yet somehow we can live as though there's doubt as to whether there's enough for today whether there's enough to live on, whether there's enough to trust him for today's challenge, for today's need, for today's seeming unfulfillment. But friends, there's nothing lacking in Christ's provision for our lives. There's nothing lacking in payment of past debt, nor in his ability to fulfill today's needs, whatever those are in your life. So why do we take our needs elsewhere so often? We look to other people, to other things to meet them. We look for a husband or a wife to be the answer. We use food and drink to deal with our needs or to numb us and forget them. Different activities and recreations, things we watch or pursue. We go to different places with our needs to see if we can be satisfied. But friends, we don't need to try and fill the gap in our life with something else. Because he has enough to fill you today. When he comes and fills, when we make room for him, he comes and meets all our needs and fulfills us. He is the one who fills everything in every way. Everything in every way. Not just some of the needs of your life. Everything in every way. There's enough for today. Whatever it is you need, if you'll bring it to God, 
there is enough in him. There was a missionary lady called Dorothy who was in our church in Nottingham, possibly one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. She'd lived for many years in Congo with her husband as a ministry, as a missionary, had raised two children there and just told incredible stories of seeing the power of God come through for them time and again. And she told one of God's very practical provision They lived in a fairly remote place, reaching some remote peoples. And from time to time, the road, the only road which you could get out to go and get supplies would become impassable, sometimes because of conflict and instability in the situation, and sometimes because of the weather conditions. And when that happened, then there would be no supplies. And there was one period where for a number of weeks, there were no supplies. And she had one bag of flour with which to make bread and food to feed her family. And each day she would take some out. But what she said was for every day that the road was blocked, she would take some out, she would cook with it for the family, but the level of the flour stayed the same in the bag. Every day she'd come, she'd take out, cook for the family, the level was the same. The road stays blocked, she takes it out, she bakes for the family, the level stays the same. Until the day that the road was clear, the supply came, She took the flour, she cooked for the family, the level went down. The bag of flour went down as usual. But God had provided everything that was needed for the day that it was needed. He doesn't waste, but he does provide for all of our needs. You know, but sometimes we can position ourselves a bit like the woman in the story, only we do only ask for a few jars. We ask God to fill enough to pay our debt and let us off the hook for eternity. But we don't want to go after any more jars than that. We don't want any further preparation required. We don't want to expect any more. And we don't look to God to fill our need for today, to give us enough for today. And when we live like that, we deny the truth of who God is, the one who fills everything in every way. Because the God we serve is all sufficient, all sufficient. Say that with me, all sufficient. All sufficient. And I sense a challenge for us, church. A provocation, if you like, from the Holy Spirit. That we don't ask for just a few. That we don't ask for just a few. That we would grasp that he is the God who fills everything in every way. That he engages with us to fill us as we cry out in desperation to him. As we make preparations for him, he comes and he's just waiting to fill, to meet the need in us and also the need in others who don't yet know where to bring it. Because the God who fills, fills to meet need. Let's keep bringing our need to him and not anywhere else. So the challenge for us this morning is to be those who will not ask for just a few. To be those who prepare many jars for God to fill. I believe this is a season for us to be in a position of asking God. Crying out to God in desperation. For needs in our own hearts and lives, yep, that's where we should start. Let's learn to cry out to him. But then also to cry out for the desperate needs in our city. You know, there are so many people with desperate need in our city. Poverty that's expressed in all kinds of different ways. People with no direction, no moral compass, no idea of what is right and wrong. Caught up in lifestyles and situations that will only lead them to more brokenness and pain. 
Will we ask? Will we cry out in desperation for God to come and fill? Will we prepare? Will we listen to what the Lord's saying to us and trust and obey and not ask for just a few? I want to invite you this morning. I want to stir you to dream. What is it that you want God to do in your life, in your family, on your street? What is it that you want God to come and fill? What needs do you want him to come and fill and meet? What is it that you would go after if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you want to change in our city if you knew that you could do it easily? What would you ask God for if you knew he'd answer in one prayer? Because you know, I think if we think about the needs of our city, many of us, we'd say, well, we would love this to be different. And for that group of people, oh, we'd love God to break through. But sometimes we just don't go there because we know it will require us to pray persistently or consistently, but actually there's desire in our heart if we will just begin to cry out in desperation. Sometimes we can think that God is reluctant to give, reluctant to pour out his spirit or his power, reluctant to answer our prayer, but I'm stirred to consider that perhaps when we don't experience that much filling, it's because we're slow to cry out in desperation. We don't cry out for those things that we know might require us to do so over a long period of time or to really commit to. We don't cry out or position ourselves for those things that require preparation or require us to step out in trust and obedience. And so we ask for just a few. We settle for a small measure. Yesterday, gathering with some of our leaders in the morning, David Sherman, who's a a godly man we've known for many years, came and and spoke to us and pointed out to us, we're in a season of God's favor here at CLM. The church is growing, people are finding Christ. God is at work, he's filling us and meeting us here. He said, you mustn't miss the season that you're in. You mustn't miss the season that you're in. It's a season of favor. And friends, in this season, as we come and ask for God to fill us and to meet us, don't ask for just a few. It's a season of favor. It's a season to make sure we provide plenty of space for God to fill, come with great expectation and get many jars for him to fill. He is the God who fills everything in every way. I'm going to ask the band to come and to join me up here. He, he, he fills everything in every way. He fills where there's desperation. So friends, we must learn to cry out to him. Don't stay silent, but cry out to him in your desperation. He fills what we prepare. So we must do what he asks of us and get ready. Play our active part in what he wants to do. And remember that he fills to provide for need. So we must bring our need to him, not anywhere else. First our own need and then the need of others who he would have us reach and bring to him, who won't find their own way to him without some help. He wants to fill them too. And when we do those things, we will see him filling everything in every way. 
filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, we're challenged by your word. Reminded that you are the God who fills everything in every way. And that we want to make room for you. Help us to give voice again, Lord, where there's desperation, that we would cry out to you and bring it to you. And find your ears attentive to our cry and that you would fill us in that place. If every desperate situation here in the room, Holy Spirit, that you would help each one to raise a cry to you, that you would come and fill. We ask, Lord, that we would be ready and obedient. We trust you and we'd step out. May you never be limited in what you can do because we hold back, because we only ask for a few. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be a people of courageous faith who don't ask for just a few, but go after everything that you have and seek to see a full measure of what you would do in our midst and through us because of your greatness and your readiness to move and to act and to fill. And Lord, we bring our needs to you this morning. The deep places of our hearts, the situations you know that we're concerned about, the practical needs, we bring them to you. Help us to learn, Jesus, not to take them anywhere else, but to bring them to you for you to fill. Again and again and again that you would give us all that we need as you've forgiven our debt. We would have everything we need to live on in you, Lord Jesus.